Jason Neifer, online learning with the Montana Digital Academy on August 3rd, 2011 in Missoula, Montana at the Educational Technology Conference sponsored by Blackfoot Telecommunications. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, why don't we go ahead and get going? I'm sure it'll be an exciting hour of listening to me talk, so we might as well get to it. Um, good morning, my name is Jason Neifer, and I'm the Curriculum Director of the Montana Digital Academy. And my section on this morning is Online Learning with the Montana Digital Academy, and I want to share um, a, a few bits about me, and then we'll jump right into the context and, and, and the content of our talk today. Um, our program is at montanadigitalacademy.org. I will fully admit to you it's a kind of a messy, messy web page right now, which is something we're working on to disseminate better information online. Um, but if you're interested in me or, or stuff that I write about and do in the technology world, there's two places on the internet you can go later, nifer.com, N-E-I-F-F-E-R.com, which is mostly just shameless self-promotion, and then techsavvyteacher.com is my on-again, off-again love blogging, um, which I wish I could do um, as aggressively as others, but that's the way it is. And then if you're a Twitter person, um, there are two places where you can follow my program myself on Twitter. MontDigAcad is the Montana Digital Academy Twitter account, and then uh, my Twitter account, which I share with Mike Gustinelli, who's a teacher in Helena Public School District, is TechSavvyTeach. In fact, we blog together, sort of, at techsavvyteacher.com. So if you're interested in following me later, I, I'm a, starting to become a, a pretty frequent presenter in Montana and around the Pacific Northwest. And um, not that I, you know, you want to become a groupie or anything, but you want to see me in other locations, that's a place that you can ultimately follow me. So um, if you've seen presentations from me before, you know that I'm a big uh, fan of paperless presentations, that I think the problem with conferences is that they hand you 45,000 pages of paper, which are not only not very shareable, but they're kind of worthless, right? I mean, I still have, when I uh, ended my run as a classroom teacher a couple years ago, one of the things I had to do was go and like go through my classroom files. If you've ever been through this process, it's a very sad day indeed, because you have all this stuff that, that accumulates over time in the classroom. And one of the things I found was a literally two metal file drawers full of conference handouts that I'm sure I had a good reason to save, and I'm certain I was going to use them someday, but they became you know, filed away, never to be seen again. And in fact, the two or three things in that box that was useful to me, I ended up deciding later to scan and put digitally somewhere so I could ultimately use them instead of you know, carrying them from location to location. So I have created some paper, or I'm sorry, paperless handouts for today. Uh, my paperless handouts are at workshop handouts dot com slash and here's the fancy code ETC MTDA 11 and that's case sensitive so if you're on a laptop today I would encourage you to bookmark that spot um, if not that should be an easy place to go to and I'll ramble on remote and more so you can write down that at address um, by the way a complete side note to this and, and I'm actually kind of working on a, on a, uh, a sectional about this because I, it's an advocacy that I think is very important but you know, we would save an awful lot of paper schools thought more carefully about the paperless environment. So when I ran a paperless classroom for a year before I left the classroom, you may see, I think I presented to here at the other Missoula Tech Conference last year about it. I'm a big fan of paperless classroom ideas, but I think schools can be real models in our community and in our world of moving towards a paperless environment because a lot of the paper that we use is at best temporary paper. I think about the morning of the daily announcements. If you're in a building that's still doing daily announcements on paper, 
everyone's got an email address, everyone probably has a computer, why not just send those out digitally every day? Um, you still have a few teachers, and I came from a building that was a paperless announcements building that would every morning, uh, you know, on cue, print out the announcements, you know, and of course, uh, in the printed world, it was more efficient when it was photocopied because it was on one page, now they're printing out it's on seven pages, and yada, yada, yada. But still, you could probably make a big difference. And, and I may mention paperless a couple more times today because one of the greatest things about working for a digital a learning program is that, uh, at least on, on my end, I tend to never touch paper, which is kind of funny because when I was a little kid, I was kind of paper kid. I would get things like gift certificates to office supply stores for Christmas. But you know, we'll ignore my past for a moment. So um, a quick agenda for today, um, and then we'll jump right in. Um, this is going to be more me talking than us having an engaging back-and-forth conversation. I would really love to ask questions as we move along today, but again, the point of this section was more informational than anything else. I want to talk a little bit about our program. We'll talk about the past year. We'll talk about the next year. Then stuff that I think is more interesting, some innovations that MTDA is pushing, um, something that I'm calling the MTDA test kitchens, which are things that are in the back of our minds at our program that I think could really be innovators in the world of online learning. And the last and certainly not least thing I want to talk about is, is some things I've learned about the ideal online student because you as teachers may be supporting online learners at the Montana Digital Academy as part of your role in a local school. And I want to talk about maybe some misnomers and some important ways you can support students that may be in your school that are taking um, uh, classes at my program. Okay. So before we get started, um, I want to do a quick survey here. How many of you heard of Montana Digital Academy before? About half and half. Let me give you a very brief introduction to our program and some elements of it that I think are kind of important. Uh, Montana Digital Academy was created by the 2009 legislature, and I'll give you a, a timeline of our program evolution in a moment. But uh, we were the third or fourth attempt at a statewide virtual schooling program in the state of Montana. For a state that's as rural as it is, it's strange to me that it took us over a decade of failures to come up with a model that ultimately worked. But as I'll talk about in a moment, that's really given us a lot of strength. Um, there's something, I think, in taking your failures, licking your wounds, and going back and trying again. And I think MTDA has the advantage of a lot of other programs making some early program mistakes that we've been able to take that institutional knowledge and work around. But we're an online statewide virtual school, which is a very unique school in the online learning environment. Montana does not have a charter school law, so we can't have an online charter here. Uh, we don't have a lot of the alternative education models that other states do, and I don't want to talk about the merits of those in either direction. We're a statewide virtual school. There are 36 in the United States, and we are a little different than a charter school because we don't exist minus the local school. For students to go to our online learning program, you can't just come to us and say, I want to take online courses, give me a degree in credit. You have to enroll through your local school. So we don't exist minus an engagement with your local school. If you have a student in your community, for example, that's in a homeschool environment, and they want to take MTDA courses, then they have to engage their local school and make an agreement. You'll provide enrollment services, or I'm not looking for a graduation credit, or, or whatever that engagement is, before you can enroll in our program. We don't take independent or rogue students. 
We have two kinds of forces, and we actually created one of these terms. Um, credit recovery is probably a more familiar term for you. Students that have failed courses the first time around looking to regain credit need a credit recovery program. So I'll talk about our version of that in a moment. And then most of our program thus far has been original credit. That's students looking to take a class for the first time in a more traditional classroom platform. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, a couple other pieces. We are all certified teachers. Um, every one of our teachers is certified with a Montana um, endorsement. But more interestingly, they are also all working in some capacity for Montana schools. So teachers that work for our program don't work for us directly. They work with a local school, and that qualifies them then to work for MTDA. Our teachers work at 30 different school districts across the state of Montana. Um, with almost all of our teachers, they're active classroom teachers and teach us on the side. We do have a couple of principals teach courses with us, a couple of central administrators that do, and then also a couple of people in more unique positions. They're the after school director or some other program that engages them in their school district. Yes, we're standards based, which I get a question a lot. Um, I, I don't know why you wouldn't say you're standards based, but yes, we are state standards based. And then we use Moodle and other online learning environments, which I'll talk about in a greater detail in a moment. So, to give you a sense of how quickly our program came up, let me give you a very brief timeline of the last two years of NPDA. Um, House Bill 459 in the 2009 legislature was the bill that created us. And then there's some Montana code now, it's like 2159.82 or some long code-looking number that is the law that's actually us. And that law does some interesting things, actually. Um, it names a board, where a board is, is seven members, uh, they're specified as a representative from the Office of Public Instruction. There's a Montana classroom teacher. There's a, a Montana administrator. Um, there's also a school board member on our board. Um, that year, we uh, there was some, some indication we might try to get off the ground for 2009, but let me assure you that would have been a feat of, of, of epic proportions. Um, so instead, they, they focused their area on getting administration up. At the end of 2009, they hired a director. Our director is Bob Curry, who's the former director of the Michigan Virtual School and kind of a rock star in online learning. 2010, I was hired. Um, our instructional manager, which is our third admin position, was hired. We hired 76 teachers. We ran a very small summer school pilot last summer with about 50 kids, most of them in the Missoula County Public Schools. Then in fall 2010, we brought up our full program. Um, I will tell you that our numbers exceeded our wildest imaginations by a factor of about four. And I'll talk about what that, those numbers look like in a moment. Then this year, in February, we rolled out a, a specific credit recovery program, which I'll tell you about in a moment. Um, this summer, we rolled out a summer school, and we're offering both credit recovery programs and an original credit program so students can get a credit ahead of time. Perhaps if they're a junior and they want to take U.S. history but do it in the summertime, they're able to do so. And then this fall, we'll be running our expanded program, which I'll talk about in very detail in a moment. One of the things that's extremely unique about online learning in Montana is that we have a lot of people that we refer to as partners but they are organizations that are either actively sitting at our board table or come to all of our board meetings that we consider to be critical advisors in our program. 
Um, these are our, our, our sampling of them. Uh, every time I show this slide off, particularly at a meeting with administrators, someone mentions another group that's probably best able to be described as a partner. But the Montana School Boards Association, the school administrators of Montana, uh, the Montana Teachers Union, the Rural Education Association, the Montana University System, OPI, the Board of Public Education, and the MHSA are all people that we consider partners of ours because we make policy with them. We don't work in conflict with any of these groups. We work in cooperation. The one here that's probably the most unique is the MEA-MFT. The Montana Teachers Union has been critical in this process, and they were one of the groups that really pushed this legislation in 2009. And we very carefully work with them to make sure that our program, and something that I very carefully defend, you know, make sure there's a teacher's role in online learning, which I think is a critical piece, not only of our program, but of a great, successful online program, as I'll talk about a little bit later. But all these organizations have some say in the way we, we do our business. And if you have a concern about any uh, program, I would love it if you contacted someone in our office to talk about it. But don't be afraid to go one of our partners, because we consider ourselves an organization of partnerships and more importantly, building something together for Montana students. Okay? Um, I would happily get into a debate with you about whether online learning is better or worse or that sort of thing, but I think the discussion is a little bit silly from the standpoint that I can tell you that there are hundreds, maybe thousands of kids in the state of Montana that they didn't have access to an online learning program, they wouldn't have access to an educational program. If you're sitting in a hospital in Seattle and you want to keep your graduating class, you don't have a choice except for an online learning program. If you have significant home problems, or if you're the, the sole breadwinner in your family and you're 16 years old, you may not have access to education unless you're in an online learning program. If you're 15 and pregnant and basically doing that yourself, you may not have access to education minus an online learning program. And for every student in our program that's doing it because they're in a small school and they need access to diverse electives, I can name you five other kids in our program that took our program because we were the last shot they had before they were going to be denied an educational opportunity. So uh, it's important to understand this debate in Montana about how online learning fits into uh, the bigger process is something that um, is, is, is larger than just online learning, good or bad. It's really, I think, a question of access for students. Okay. One last thing that I want to show you is this is a really great map. It's from something called the Keeping Pace Report. The International North American Council for Online Learning International North America sounds weird, but that's actually the name. It's the call. It's a big advocacy organization for online learning. And they put out a report over here called Keeping Pace. And this map is from 2010 Keeping Pace, and it shows you kind of the state of online learning right now. You'll notice something very interesting here. Online learning really is a factor of the Midwest and the upper Midwest and the Southeast, but the West hasn't adopted nearly as quickly. And we are actually one of the newer programs um, in the West that adopts a statewide virtual school model. There are lots of charter schools and states that have charter school laws that are online charter schools, but the statewide virtual school is actually not a nationwide phenomenon. We were the 36th statewide virtual school, but you'll notice um, that uh, well, at least one of our neighbors doesn't have a statewide virtual school, and they are almost completely absent um, past Montana. Idaho has a very large, very um, successful statewide virtual school, but you'll notice that Oregon, California, and Washington do not. So that's something that is an interesting piece of this, and it gives you a sense of this. Also, very interesting to me, look at the American Northeast. 
New England seems to be lacking the vision to create statewide virtual schools. And the state that I think is most interesting here is New York, which has had several efforts in this regard. And there are some regional efforts, but no statewide virtual school in New York. Okay, so let's talk about now um, our program and what we did this past year. So we offered um, a slate of courses based on surveying we did of districts um, in December 2009. And based on that, we came up with a slate of courses that was approximately 45 courses large. And I used to have this in a big list, and it was boring, so I made a wordle. It's slightly better, even though it, it, it just mostly jumbles it now. But here's a big load of course names. So I want to highlight a couple of, of individual courses for you here. First, as a group, there are seven advanced placement courses, which is something you know we hear online learning, especially for small high schools. Advanced placement courses are an instant um, go-to course that you know, we want to give kids access to those. But you know, as you might imagine, it is challenging to teach an online course. Um, to the college board standards in, in a meaningful sort of way if a student is not very dedicated to content area. But I think we've had some successes here with those specific courses, and I can tell you that our AP test scores are coming in, and they're not so bad, so I've been pretty happy with that. We also um, have a full load of elective courses, which include um, most standard world languages. In addition, we also teach, we're the only program in Montana that teaches Mandarin Chinese. Um, we have a Latin program. There's only a handful of school districts left that teach Latin in the state of Montana. So we're really the reality for teaching Latin in most high schools in Montana. And I think we have both active Latin teachers in Montana working with our program. So we have those individuals fairly engaged. Um, we also have a full spectrum of science courses. In fact, science is our most popular course title, including some unique electives like oceanography, which is wildly popular in our landlocked state. And then courses like environmental science, which are taught at a couple of mostly large A and AA high schools, but is generally a course title that doesn't make it into um, a lot of course catalogs unless there's a local teacher that has a passion for that content. Um, these courses were of mixed popularity, you might imagine. Uh, for example, you know, we had an AP English course that had a handful of students this year, and then our most popular course, hands down, without exception, was digital photography. In the spring, we taught seven sections of digital photography students in Montana. A close number two was Spanish one, and then a close number three to that was psychology. We taught four sections of psychology this past spring. So you get a sense of the flavor of students that, that we're getting in our program. And in a lot of cases, those students are taking electives or core concepts that may or may not be offered at their local high school. So let me give you a sense of where our students are located at. I love this map because it really shows off, I think, a wide um, uh, distribution of students in our program. When we first plotted this out on Google Earth, I was a little taken aback by it because you could argue there are pockets of Montana where there aren't online learners, but I would also argue to you those are pockets of Montana where there are no people. So it works out very nicely that, that where there are people, there are online learners. We taught students in 160 schools this year, and I'll give you the other number of those. It's huge and it makes my job wrong. Um, and we engaged uh, teachers in roughly 30 school districts. The little purple dots, which don't show up great on a projector, but you get the idea. The little purple dots are students the little red dots are teachers. So if you can imagine for a moment, we have probably the world's largest school in place um, that's, that's in a, a single geographical area because we have kids literally from all over the state. We take the largest 
bubble in one direction and measured to the other one. I think Google Earth told me that it was like 1,300 miles of, of, of length between those two kids. And, you know, and it, it, it's shocking to me sometimes that we're in one time zone. So uh, it works out really nicely that, that this is the, the situation as it was. And, again, the response to our program has been extraordinary. Let me give you some numbers. Well, let me start off with, a, with another story. Last fall, we did a, um, a preview day at the University of Montana, and the UM College of Education hosted a little party for us saying, yay, we're starting, and it's great. And the teacher team president was there, and the Montana Rules Teachers Association gentleman was there, and there were lots of representatives there. I believe uh, uh, Superintendent Juno was there. It was a great day to celebrate. And I spoke at that, that meeting. Some of you might have been there, but I was sitting back literally with a laptop, pressing refresh, looking at enrollment numbers, because I wanted to report the freshest enrollment number, and plus, we were this close to 500 kids. We were this close. We want to get to 500, because that's a great number. So, literally, they're calling my name, and I press refresh, and it's 501. I'm like, wow, poetic. So I just stood up and spoke. It's like, you know, I just want to report to you that we just had our latest enrollment report, and we just hit 501 students. And jaws in the room were dropping because no one, no one expected that we'd serve that number of students. I said we'd probably serve a couple hundred. Bob was forever the optimist and said we'd serve maybe six or seven hundred. Um, and at that point in the program, we had 500 kids that were enrolled. Um, a week later, we were at 1,200. Four days after that, we were at 1,850, which ended up being our number for fall. And to give you a sense of the number of students we served over the past year, the number is 2,751 students were served by the month into Jewel Academy this year. The gold standard in online learning is enrollments. The way enrollments works, one student in one class is one enrollment, one student in two classes is two enrollments. If you look at it from that standpoint, our enrollment this year was 5,530, which is a number that exceeded our expectations by factors of three or four. We are uh, blown away a little bit at the number of students that, that needed or thought they needed an online learning program. So that's the, the success that we can report from this year. Okay. Now, that said, I do think there was a lot of persuasion this year. We're a new program. We're free. You know, why not try? I don't know if that number will increase or decrease next year because, as you might imagine, not everyone was ready or, in some cases, willing to learn in an online program. But let me tell you a little bit of what we consider to be our successes for this past year. Um, we created administrative staff. I think that's important. Um, we have two programs with an original credit and a credit recovery program. Um, we've adopted lots of cutting-edge tools, which I'll talk about in a moment. We have a passage rate that's roughly on par with other statewide virtual schools, which we think is great for our first-year program. Our students are meaningfully, meaningfully engaged with the program. Our passage rate was somewhere in the 70s this year, which is a, a pretty good start for a first-time online learning program. Um, we developed uh, working relationships with uh, uh, almost hundreds of schools in the state of Montana. And then we've also provided the opportunity for the Montana University System to talk about dual credit and dual enrollment options for kids, which is somewhat of a mess because the number of institutions have developed their own dual credit and, and, and dual enrollment processes. And we're still working that out to find out what's the best way we can serve students that are interested in taking courses that can also get them college credit. These are all pieces that we're very proud of. We have a lot of, of success to report from this past year. But, you know, the numbers alone, I think, don't really show what the real success is, which is Montana was able to provide 
hundreds of students in really bad situations with an online learning program that a lot of times gave them credit where there would have been no other opportunity to do so. I can't tell you the number, uh, well, I mean, it's a joke this year, but it's not a joke, it's real. We have a really high pregnancy rate in MTDA, lots of new moms um, uh, in our inner program. But you know, a lot of those uh, girls would have been without an online learning program, or without any learning program, especially if they're in a district that for whatever reason compelled them not to come to school or didn't have an alternative program for those kids. Those kids passed at usually a fairly high rate because online learning happens to be great if you're on a new mom schedule. Um, we had lots of kids that were sitting in really unique medical circumstances. They were in Children's Hospital in Seattle. They were sitting in a burn unit in, in, in Salt Lake City. In a lot of cases, they were wanting to do something other than stare at a television all day. In some cases, they were able to receive credits in our program they otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. And in a lot of cases, more than I, I would have imagined, we had kids that for some desperate reason needed a half credit in something to graduate this past spring, minus the availability of a flexible online learning program, those students wouldn't have graduated from high school this year, and we were able to provide the opportunity to do so. So I think the numbers are important, but I think the stories are even more important because they show that there's definitely a need for our program. So now that we've done a year, I think it's important to talk a little bit about what the, the, the future looks like. So we went to the 2011 legislature, and we, and we had to actually ask for an amount of money before a single student enrolled in our courses. We sent our original request through the political lines last summer before the jaw-dropping 2517 number um, was a reality for us. So we probably asked for an amount of money that was a little on the conservative side based on that program. But you know, we're resourceful people, so we'll work with it. But um, the upcoming year program really keeps in mind the fact that we were given an appropriation by the 2011 legislature, but that appropriation is, is a finite resource. And so we need to create creative ways to serve as many kids as possible in our program, understanding that we, unlike a school, you, know, you get money per kid at a school. We don't get that kind of funding. We don't collect A and B funding on those kids. We don't collect online, learn, or online learning premiums like other statewide virtual schools do in other models. So we really have to work on what we consider to be uh, you know, a sustainable model. So uh, there's a lot of words here. Now I think about it, I should have eliminated the slide. This is a bunch of blah, 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 blah stuff we're going to do this year. You know, we want to work on accreditation. We want to work on NCAA provider eligibility, um, more partnerships, internal learning, you know, uh, those kind of things we think are really important, but you know, that's all probably the kind of continuous improvement that you do in your own school. So ignore all that for a moment. I think the more exciting stuff is we are adding new courses next year. Here's uh, another fun wordle on the course that we're adding next year. We're adding third levels of Spanish and French next year. We're adding a very unique course for the first high school, online high school in the nation to offer Irish studies, which is an Irish language program that's being taught by a professor in the Irish Studies Program at the University of Montana. We are the first in the nation to do that. We're offering an art history course. We're offering a music appreciation course. We're offering a career technical ed course in health occupations, a pre-algebra course, and a personal finance course. These are new courses. 
to be honest with you, the request list for courses was 10 times this size. I could have easily expanded our catalog out next year to 150 courses without batting an eye. But, you know, it doesn't really work that way. So, um, unfortunately, we're going to have to more slowly expand over time. Um, we also considered this year maybe cutting some of the courses that were not as popular with students, but we decided to hold that off for a year because we think that online learning is a kind of program that there should be able to be a really unique course that maybe doesn't have a lot of widespread desire statewide, but still fits the need of a unique student. You know, as an example of this, it probably wouldn't work out to offer Irish studies in a single high school, right? Even a double-A high school, maybe Butte, but ignoring Butte for a moment. Um, otherwise, there probably wouldn't be a scenario where Billings, for example, could find 25 kids, at least for a new program. You know, once you get a great teacher in a program, if they were teaching rocket science, AP rocket science to seniors, they would probably get kids in the class. But an initial program would have a tough sell, I think, in a unique environment, especially with an untested teacher and untested curriculum. But in an online learning environment, I have no doubt we'll be able to come up with 30, 40, maybe 50 kids that would be interested in dipping their toe into this environment. So we, at least for now, decided that even if we have classes that maybe are only picking up 10 or 15 kids, that that's still going to provide unique service to kids in the state of Montana. Like, if the worst thing that happens is that we met the needs of 15 kids with a unique course offering, I think we're doing okay. You know, again, we have to keep in mind financial situations and appreciations, but that doesn't mean that, you know, we can get rid of the unique, some of the unique factors to make an online learning environment work. Okay. Let's talk about other pieces of our program expansion. I mentioned before credit recovery, and I want to talk about what credit recovery looks like. So unfortunately, we're still stuck in a model, um, in, by law and by expectation, that you know, seat time is still pretty important to a lot of people, right? Like you have to warm a seat for so many hours before we can justify saying that even though you may know the content, you get credit. Okay? There's debate we can have about that. You know, there's good news about that. There's bad news about that. But there's a lot of kids in our learning environments that have taken a course that have the seat warming time. Maybe it failed it. You know, I do think there's a myth that we have a lot of kids that caught all the content but didn't do any of the work, and so we should you know, just test them and give them credit. I taught in the classroom for 12 years. I think that creature is kind of unicorny. I don't think they're that usual. But there are a lot of kids that if we subject them to a full course over again, are probably going to give up in the middle of it because it's hard to take a year of algebra. It's hard to take a year of U.S. history, especially if you're not really engaged by the content, and more importantly, if that's a real challenge for you as a student. So we've created an online learning environment for credit recovery that uses a, a vendor, but we, we think the vendor is not as important as our model. Um, there's three things about it, or sorry, four things about this program, and then it kind of added bonus. It's open entry, open exit. Okay? Unlike our regular courses, which are taught in the cohort model, you show up in November and you know that you need a credit recovery environment, you've got the suit time, we'll offer you entry at any time. Second, it's self-paced, okay? which is not necessarily important because kids need self-paced from the standpoint of um, you know, they need to go slower or to understand the material. In a lot of cases, this is because some of these credit recovery kids are lacking four or five classes. If we made them take four or five classes on a regular schedule on top of their regular coursework, that would be impossible. We need the kids to fail the course in the first place, and in most cases, that would be kind of silly. So if you want to crank on one class for a couple of weeks on the side of your regular courses, you can, then you can move on to the next course, which gives you some flexibility in that environment. There's a pretest module system where students take a pretest based on Montana standards, 
if they pass certain parts of the test, then they get exempted from parts of the class because they already know that stuff. We don't care about the pieces you already know, so you can be exempted from it. And then, of course, it's available 24 hours a day. Now, this program, uh, when sold by a vendor, it's usually sold as a, as, a, as a teacherless option. I'll talk about a little bit later why I think teacherless options maybe aren't the best for a lot of kids, I think especially credit recovery. We've added a different element. We also assigned an academic coach to that kid who is a certified teacher in the area of their coaching in. And they're not teaching the course per se, because the course has a lot of the learning built in the modules, but they're there to do in one-on-one help, they're there to coach the kid on, which is a lot of cheerleading sometimes, right? And then also to keep a mindful eye on when a student may be having struggles that our program can't deal with. If you're a pre-algebra kid and you've taken that pre-algebra unit one test a dozen times and you've failed it, Maybe the online learning environment is not the best place for you, so we need to get you other kinds of instruction for you to be successful. Only a teacher can tell you that. Most programs won't, even the ones that are pretty well with some great artificial intelligence, but a teacher can do those services, and I think that's a, a piece of that. So we have built this credit recovery program, which is much more flexible, which it looks a lot more like, I think vendors talk about online learning, and that's kind of the vendor-style online learning, what to provide unique opportunity for kids. We don't want kids to be dropped in these courses and told four months later, how did you do? We want schools to build processes locally to support these kids. We think there should be at least a paraprofessional in a lab to help answer questions and to push, push, push these kids in the best way we know how. But this provides at least a curriculum component and also a certified teacher involved so we can try to build a team to get those kids through a credit recovery environment. Okay. In addition to the program this year, we're going to be offering something we call the MLS, or the Multi-Language Sampler for Middle School Kids. Okay. Um, how many of you are in a middle school environment right now? Okay. And keep your hands up if you offer a world language program at your middle school. Now that's actually a better number than I would have expected based on, on the stats. Middle school world language is being cut in Montana at a ferocious rate. Um, a couple AA districts this year cut uh, middle school world language, and there are a lot of tiny, tiny, tiny schools that either never offered world language or offered only a basic world language program. You know, if you're K-8 certified, you can teach anything, right? So it's no big deal, but it probably didn't have the kind of background that was probably required to get a good background in language. Now, we can't afford, based on our, our, our preparation, to provide middle school language at a full year for every kid that doesn't have access to it in Montana. It's just not possible, not financially possible. So we came up with kind of a middle ground to kind of dip our toe in middle school. Uh, it's a multi-language sampler. It's based on some research that talks about how middle school is supposed to be a time of exploration and a full year language course doesn't oftentimes offer kids that kind of sampler, and we kind of think of the Whitman sampler here of chocolates as a good model for this. Sometimes you want to nibble on the nougat one, sometimes you want to nibble on the jelly bean, and it's okay, because you're sampling, because you're a middle schooler, and you don't really know what you want to do yet. That's for high school, okay? So, middle school learners, six, seven, and eight, um, it's a seven-week program. We have four seven-week quarters, um, and you can take seven-week language programs in French, Spanish, Latin, German, and Mandarin. In a full year, you can take up to four of those, okay? which means that after that time, you can probably say hello, count to ten, and say colors in your choice of four languages. The intent here is not to give the student fluency. The intention here is not to give them a full battery of world language knowledge. 
But if we can whet their appetite in something, and the two on there, actually three on there, that I think are the most unique ones, German programs are, are, are not as popular as they used to be in Montana. Um, same is absolutely true about Latin, and then we, there is no high school Mandarin program except for ours in Montana. We can provide an opportunity for a kid to see a lot of formal language, maybe even compare and contrast a little bit in more of a, of a looser environment. We are using the PowerSpeak curriculum. The PowerSpeak curriculum is from a company in Utah that's been teaching distance language courses for over 50 years in different formats. It's very game-based. We think it's very engaging. We had excellent reviews from our students last year. We think it's really great for the middle school learner because it's, it's, a, it's a pretty light environment, even though it has a lot of research con context to it, which we think makes it an excellent choice for most students. But that's a, a, a direction we're going to go into next year. It's not unlimited enrollment. We're going to teach a total of um, 700 enrollments in that this year. We think it's a, a really great way to dip our toe into world language. And if we can prove that there's some need out there, maybe the answer is we can go back to the legislature and say, we want to provide four-year world language for 4,000 middle schoolers in Montana, whatever that number looks like, and then receive appropriate funding to do so. Okay. Last and certainly not least, there's two bits I want to share with you that I think are really important. Um, the first one is kind of innovation MTDA. Um, I want to talk very briefly about things that we're very proud of that are actually fairly unique in the online learning world. First, um, we have to have a platform for online learning, and we use a platform that probably some of you use. It's called Moodle. Moodle is an online open source learning management system. Um, people hear the word free and they get all sorts of ideas in their head that are, are, are not necessarily true. We pay premium prices for it because we have a, um, a service uh, uh, enterprise level Moodle server that we use. But um, you'd be interested to know that we're actually one of the first virtual schools in the United States, statewide virtual schools in the United States, to use Moodle. Because we are a new kid on the block, we had diverse opportunities that most statewide virtual schools didn't have four or five years ago to choose an LMS. Almost all statewide virtual schools are using Blackboard or a product that was bought by Blackboard that will be forced onto them with Blackboard now that product's been bought. For example, you may have taken a, like a web CT course before at a college, that's now owned by Blackboard. Maybe you took an angel learning course, that's owned by Blackboard. So a lot of the market's dominated by Blackboard. We made the decision that because the University of Montana was going in this direction, we wanted to go in this direction too. And the greatest thing about this is if you have Moodle servers in your district and you're using it with kids, they use the same online learning environment with MTDA. Okay? It's not cheaper per se, although it's heck of a lot cheaper than Blackboard. It's not better or worse, although I would argue it's better than most commercial options, but it has a certain philosophy with it that gives us a lot of opportunities to do things that we couldn't with Blackboard. So Moodle's been a great innovation for us. Second, we give a Google Apps account that's labeled NTDA to every Montana Digital Academy student. So every student has a Montana Digital Academy.org email account, which they can email instructors. It's powered by Google Apps. We also give a Google Docs account to kids. We give a Google Chat account to kids. They can text chat. They can video chat with their instructors. They have instant access to that. And how expensive is all that, Jason? Um, Google well, Google Apps is free, except that we also buy like services to do things like cataloging and archiving. So I think we pay for 2,500 users about 10000 a year which is bargain basement compared to, you know, running an exchange server. 
So, you know, we don't have a tech director at MTD. I'm the tech director. I'm the curriculum director. I'm also in charge of parking. Um, I do everything, um, you know, to my third of the organization. All of our admin people at MTDA, you know, have a lot of hats that they wear internally. Um, you know, we don't really have a tech staff. So if I had an exchange box in, in, in my office and I could run email for kids, that would be great, I suppose. But then I also have to be an exchange administrator on top of that. Or I would just delegate to the other guys. So um, it, it's, it's just not very scalable for us. So for us, there have been a lot of services that we buy you know, relatively cheap or in some cases free services for that we don't really have to maintain and Google Apps is one of them. Um, I believe that you're doing your kids a disservice if you're not providing them email um, inside of a virtual school program. That said, though, I mean, our biggest problem is kids don't use email. So we tell them, hey, you should contact your instructors by email to communicate with them. And they're like, what's their cell phone number? Because I'm going to text them. So we're like, give them a cell phone number or give them a Google Voice number or find a way to, to, to kind of find them where they're at. Another innovation of MTDA is we do have a lot of commercial content we purchase, but we also use as much as possible open education resources. And this is a whole 10-hour you know, discussion we can have about this, but there are organizations that either for free put together content for use, or they happen to release content as part of their mission that's considered to be an OER, an open education resource. Sometimes it's open source, which is kind of a buzzword, but basically means that it's it's licensed for free use. It's not freely usable. There are conditions, but it's licensed for free use without a fee. But there are basically um, two organizations I want to highlight that we use a lot of content from. The first one is the National Repository of Online Courses, or NROC. It's a California a nonprofit that does a lot of work in providing open education resources to kids. We have about 18 online textbooks that are um, kind of college level, so it's a little bit of a challenge using high school kids, but it's wonderful and free. And we have about 12 courses that are backed by NROC content. We're a premium member of NROC because we believe in the model, so we pay them money to continue to develop courses. Interestingly enough, they just released an amazing course that you can use the assets for free. It's called Algebra One, an open course. They've invested an unbelievable amount of money into making what I think is a stunning Algebra 1 course that has great interactivity to it, very smartly created media objects, and that's now our Algebra 1 program. It's not textbookless because you can download a textbook piece inside of it, but it uses the best things we know how for online learning to create a wonderful course. There's also another group in Utah called the Open High School of Utah. They're a charter school in Utah. Um, I love their model, and I love their teaching environment, and I, and I love people that run it. They're really smart folks. But they do something that's kind of cool. Every year they release all of their year-old courses for free. It's something called Open Courseware. So we had uh, uh, worked with them on some other projects, and they, they gave us access to one of our courses that we took from them, and we created a course based on that content, and that we didn't have to create the course ourselves. And they release every year, uh, I think a dozen or so courses you can download and put on your own Moodle service. It's great open content. So we're, I think, a, a model of using that as well. Not all statewide virtual schools do that. And then last and certainly not least, um, we use a lot of virtual environments. Um, we're trying to figure out some, some answers to things like science labs, right? Like one of the first questions people have about online is that, you know, we're not science labs. We're about kids doing hands-on learning, which I think is kind of an overused term, but, you know, it's a fair question, right? Science equals labs. 
how do you do it? Well, you know, there's, I have a couple of answers to that. First, unfortunately, you know, I don't think that's a real comparison to the face-to-face environment because if you talk to your local science teacher, they will tell you that their, their budget for things like lab supplies has been cut dramatically over the past 10 years. So, unfortunately, we're not really comparing apples to, or apples to apples there. The reality is that the face-to-face learning environment has to move towards some of these virtual environments as well because they just don't have the kind of funding they used to for labs. But we've been attempting as much as possible to find great products that are virtual lab environments. This is one of them I really like. It's called the Smart Science Labs. Um, we pay a, a licensing fee for it. It's not open stuff, but it's, it's good. It's really good, actually. And they build uh, the ability to do standard science labs in a way that you do a face-to-face science lab. You have to measure data and then interpret results in a kind of a hands-on, mouse-on way. Unlike the labs when I was in high school, I was the world's worst chemistry student when I was a junior at Great Falls High School in lovely uh, Great Falls, Montana. My uh, uh, chem teacher could tell you some awful stories about that time we had to evacuate the building because of me. But um, you know, the problem with this lab, or I'm sorry, with the face-to-face lab environment is that it doesn't really give you a lot of power to screw up, right? If you mix wrong chemical A and wrong chemical B, it might not be that you're not measuring the right uh, stuff. It may be that you are creating a you know, hazard for your fellow human. The great thing about a lot of these uh, uh, virtual science labs is that they give you the opportunity to uh, essentially experiment. Like, what happens if I do use three times the amount of chemical A? And then when it explodes, you, A, you're not dead, and B, um, you can press reset and start the lab over again, give you a real experimental feel to it. It's what I thought a chemistry set should be when I was a kid. Remember old chemistry sets? They don't make them like they used to because now they're so bland and, and, and not fun that they're not chemistry sets anymore. But you know, when I, my parents bought me a chemistry set, what I want to do with it, mix stuff together and watch it bubble and explode. This virtual environment offers that opportunity in a way that a face-to-face environment cannot. So we think that's a, a big piece of this. Okay. And the last thing I want to talk about today is I call this the MTDA test kitchen. Like, we have all these ideas that are constantly talked about in our organization. What I love about working on a digital academy is that there's a spirit of entrepreneurship and there's also a spirit of let's try something outside the box, let's try something different. Because we're making such assumptions in a lot of cases that to take it a couple steps further is really no big deal. So there are three things I want to talk to you about today that I think are, are really big pieces of our, our, our future world. Okay? Mobile learning is a huge one. Now, I've got to tell you, I think adults are more excited about mobile learning than kids are. And I'll give you an example of this. I think sometimes we frame this in the wrong way when we're talking about kids. I've heard mobile learning described to me in one way by a number of different people that I think is wrong. And here's the way it's been described to me. Kids can learn 24 hours a day. So kids can be on the basketball bus at 2 o'clock in the morning and working on their homework. I've been on more speech buses than I care to say. And let me assure you, at 2 o'clock in the morning, there's no chemistry homework going on, right? So I think we have to be careful, right? Kids won't embrace it in that way. But where I think the power comes is that there's a mobile computer sitting in the pockets of, of, of a nearly um, a large majority of our students. Why not take advantage of that by using the great parts of the mobile environment for learning? Let me give you an example of this. I want to show you a proof of concept that I, I created when we were talking with some of our partners in other virtual schools. Um, this is a, a, an app mock-up that I think it gives you an idea of what directions we can go into. Um, this is a, a, you can download this from the Internet. It's a mock app. It's a way you can create sort of an app-looking thing. 
And the question was, I was speaking to the NTDA board about mobile learning, and I want to show them an example of a great mobile learning app that's a class, not just something that's useful, but it's a class. So this is what I came up with as, as a mock app. So wouldn't it be great, we do offer online PE courses at MTDA, wouldn't it be great if we could offer mobile app online physical education? Okay, so let me tell you what that looks like, okay? You'll notice here, here's my fake iPhone, and I click on Physical Ed Fall 2012. It's an app. So there it is, Physical Education 1. And it looks just like Moodle does in that it's got information and it delivers it in an interesting way, but it's always with that student, right? The student going to the YMCA to exercise for their online learning class, right, you can't bring your laptop with you. I mean, you look like a goon. So but you can bring your cell phone and you can bring your iPad. What if we created an app that essentially allowed you to take the content with you wherever you're at so you could use it in context? So here's the announcements for week four of PE, and I think that's, that's potentially useful. And then here are exercise videos. For example, if you want to see the yoga flexibility video, you just go to videos and click on the yoga flexibility video, and then it pops up, and there's the yoga video. So you're in the yoga studio, and you want to know the best way to do that. Here's expert advice sitting in your hand. I think that would be really great. Um, you know, there's instant ability to contact your instructor. So if you want to email the teacher, if you want to text the teacher, if you want to um, instant message the teacher. Our model is a little strained by this because most of our teachers are working from 8 to 3 every day on their face-to-face classes. It's a downfall of our model. But most of those kids also aren't doing PE during the day either. So that would work out quite nicely. Maybe you want to email the school. It's a phone. Maybe you want to call the teacher, right? But it's built into the app, right? You even notice I have a pretty picture of the teacher in the background there. Um, then, here's the best part about it. Here's where I think there's a lot of power here. I'll talk about this in a moment, but here's what we can't do with online learning very well. It's really hard for us to reach through the screen and grab a kid who's not doing anything, right? You know, if you're in a face-to-face classroom teacher, you know what I'm talking about. There are kids that are in your class and need a little tough love, right? But to do that, sometimes you have to grab them, place them on your shoulder, and march them over passing, right? It's hard to do that in an online learning environment because you grab through the monitor and you can't do it. But on a mobile class, you can set the app to be really annoying to the kid, right? It's going to pop up a lot of things. Like, hey, kid, guess what? The fitness log is due tonight. It's now a notification on your phone, right? Or, guess what? I just graded something, okay? Do you want to see it? View it now or view it later, okay? Or, hey, you have a new message from the instructor that's telling you watch your target heart rate during warm-up today. I noticed your stats were a little funky. So thinking to yourself, is the kid going to, like, type their target heart rate in? Well, no, because these smartphones are also amazing measures of data. So let me give you an example of this. I don't need a message from classmate. So I stole this, this screenshot from a different app, right? This is called WalkMeter. It's one of my favorite iPhones. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a chubby guy, if you have noticed. And um, I have to do some exercise during the day, otherwise I become chubbier. So one of the things I like to do is if I'm walking around campus, like it's a lot more fulfilling for me to say I walked 1.2 miles today, not that I took the extra route around the library so I could walk more. So this walk app is on my iPhone, it's got GPS on it, it measures where I go and tells me how long I'm going. Imagine for a moment, this, this app's 99 cents, it's not like this is expensive technology, it's built mostly into the phone. Imagine for a moment if we tell kids, hey, you got to run a mile today, right? So just go ahead and turn your GPS on, and it'll log the mile, 
in your phone, and then that's viewable by the teacher, right? That's the kind of data, we don't even have that now. I mean, in a face-to-face PE course, 50 kids, and you're watching maybe sort of, but you're not keeping individual track of kids and looking at pacing data and looking at data over time. This data can be pretty amazing. Or you can plug into it um, a, a heart rate monitor, so you can see that data in real time. I have a scale that reports my weight to my iPhone now. Okay? And my wife can check it. Uh, not that I need her to, but you know, she can. Well, she can go to the website and say, hey, what does Jason weigh today? Um, long story why I might need that, but you know, the reality is, is that that's possible with this, and it's not even possible in the face-to-face environment, right? I'd like to give this kind of app to face-to-face gym instructors and say, tell your kids to download this app to your, your smartphone and have them carry their smartphone around with them when they're doing the daily exercise today, and you'll suddenly have great data on 30 kids. This is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. I think this is the future of a number of online courses, right? So, you know, when we say online learning, I don't think it's, you know, doing chemistry on the bus at 2 o'clock in the morning, although it could be. I think this is the more innovative stuff. And I think you're going to see that that statewide virtual schools, charter schools, whatever online school you're talking about is going to move in that direction, okay? So I think that app is, oh, and then there's graphs. So it tells you, you know, when I was fast or slow at the walk-in. So I think that's a real possibility that could provide a lot of insight. Okay. Next, NTDA is cooking up a lot of professional development online. Um, I've run some federal grants related to um, teaching rural schools and classrooms, and you know, here's something I really believe. I think we get pulled over classrooms too much. I think that there's too many opportunities for us, for meetings, like there's all this thing about meeting time, we need to work together and collaborate, and that's great. Find alternative schedules, do whatever we want to do. But I also think that we need the opportunity for teachers that want to learn stuff but don't want to be away from their kids to have online learning environments that offer them the same flexibility and professional development. You will hear in coming weeks and months that NTDA is going to offer online professional development courses, 18 hours of instruction on the topics of your choice, um, it, you know, with a, a, a tech or a tech trainer that is an experienced, wonderful tech trainer sitting somewhere in Montana, that's cheaper than traveling across the state to get professional development and fits more into your schedule, treating you like a professional, knowing that you maybe want to stay with your kids during the eight hours a day. I hated being pulled from my classroom for training. Um, even if the training was really valuable, it was three times the work to make that hour not suck for kids than it was to actually sit there and teach the class. And I would have loved more online training opportunities. Some districts are working on this. Some districts are doing a great job. We can be a partner to you and your district in doing that. If you have ideas or if you want X training to happen, or if you are at a school small enough where you're, everyone's at the table talking about online learning, contact us and talk to us about how we can help you and how we can provide opportunities and resources and maybe a trainer for a lot cheaper than it would be to bring that trainer to your district and then maybe pull you from your classroom which I think sometimes isn't the best. Okay? And last and certainly not least at the MTDA Test Kitchens, we're really working on supporting blended learning. Okay? Um, blended learning is the idea that you use some learning face-to-face and some learning online. And it's a scary notion for a lot of folks because people that have thought about blended learning, it may mean that our world culture class in a blended learning environment doesn't meet Tuesdays and Thursdays during third period of very scary to think about what the possibilities are. But there are districts across the United States that are trying, I think, some pretty innovative things. They have what they call Moodle Monday in some districts, which are the day that they don't come to school. Like, they just do online learning one day a week, and that's one day of the week that they're learning. And they have assignments online, 
and they finagle them with their state, so it's all good with, with contact hours, they call it good. Or they have little snow days, where on days where there's snow, instead of going to make it up later, they put all the assignments online, they give the kids a week or so to complete them, they're on their own time, done. Or maybe you want to find ways to re-engage kids with technology using mostly online assets. If you want to run a paperless classroom, if you want to use an open education resource, we can be a partner to you. We are not a competitor to schools, we are a partner to schools. If you want to start offering your own online classes, there's like a lot of capacity there that your district may or may not have. We can help provide you the technical advice to make that ultimately happen. We may even be able to write curriculum, maybe even space in our online learning management system. We really are here to help you develop solutions. If the answer is that NTDA is just a technical advisor to 100 school districts providing their own online learning, that's great for us. We don't need to teach the kids ourselves. We're just here as a partner to schools to help them offer the most flexible learning environment they can to kids. Okay, last thing I want to talk about, and this is a complete tangent, okay, uh, which if you've never taken a class from me as a preschool student, you know what I'm pretty famous for, but I, I think we need to talk about this. This is a really important one. Um, MTDA believes as an organizational philosophy that any kid can be an online learner. Right. And you're probably thinking to yourself, wait, 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 wait. I know a kid that would be a lousy online learner. Right? And you know what? So do I. I know hundreds of kids that would be lousy online learners. So we then start talking about what I think is a dangerous question. Well, if, if not all kids could be online learners, who is the ideal online student? So we could probably brainstorm a couple words that would be great words to describe online. So does anyone have one? What's a, what's a one-word description of the ideal online learner? Self-direct. Self-direct is a great one. Any others? Focus is a great one. Motivated is a wonderful one. Anything else? Tech savvy. Tech savvy, I think. Um, here's the four I came up with. Independent, smart, I put in quotation marks. Tech savvy, motivated. Yeah, you should probably be all these things. Okay? But guess what? If we had to limit online learning classes to kids that met these four um, elements, the online learning environment would have about nine kids in it in the state of Montana. Because kids that need online learning aren't necessarily independent, smart, tech-savvy, and motivated. And I've got to tell you, I'm very frustrated as a, you know, the kind of de facto tech help for kids in the state of Montana. The kids lack some basic skills, um, and, you know, technology skills, you know, like, how does email work? You know, that's, I teach kids this year. You put the address here. And, oh, in the two box. And, you know, like I, I, you know I, I go to places and I hear about digital natives, and I know that's a complex debate, and I know that's not exactly true here, but these aren't necessarily the kids that were being dealt. But there's a problem with online learning, right? We can't do this. My, my teachers can be the most wonderfully engaging students on earth, but they can't reach through the monitor and grab a kid. The kid won't log in. We can't log in for them. Now, if we have a smartphone app, we'll just bother them until they start doing something. But if it's if it's if you go to the, the actual computer and log in to get there, right, maybe disengaging. So I want to show you what's the magical key to this. And I think this is really important. I think we have to talk about this in Montana because it's, it's a big piece of this. Um, it's this person. And I found the most old school picture I could about this. The lady in front's a teacher. And this is the reason why that I don't think online learning will ever replace the teaching-student relationship. I think there are plenty of kids that probably do fine without it, but I think there are a majority of kids that need a smart, tech-savvy, 
forward-thinking adult to run their online learning program, and they have to create as many engaging opportunities as possible to jump up and down and grab those kids through the monitor and tweet them if they need to, uh, text them if they need to, and do all the things that you're doing right now with your face-to-face kids, but you don't have the same opportunity in the online environment. It's different when this is the same. Okay? So I'm happy to answer any questions otherwise. Thanks for your time today. Yeah. Uh, like we're a small school. Sure. 